Hello, everyone. I'm here with my friend Sambhava, whom I first met right after he'd moved to Ananda Village. When, how long ago was it that you came to live at Ananda Village? When was that? I began living in 2010. 2010, so 10 years ago. My goodness, time flies. You were still a college student, I think, when I first Actually, met you. Actually, I first came. Yes, excuse me. I came in 2010 for the first time. I started living here in 2011. But it was 2010 that I met you. You were a college student. And yeah, I think it was 2011, right after I grad. Oh, did you? Did we meet? Just, just a second. Your sound isn't there. Is your sound kind of wonky? Oh, it's your internet. Okay. I'm sorry. Oh. We're, we're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start from the very beginning. Just do it again, but it'll be. Sure. Hello, everyone. I'm here with my friend Sambhava, who's talking to us from his home at Ananda Village. I met Sambhava, I was 2010, was that what, that was what it was? That's what we figured out? Yeah. First time we met, yes. You were still a college student and you'd come, what did you come for, the Karma Yoga program or what brought you to Ananda at that point? Uh, I first came because I had heard about ex living with spirit. Mm -hmm. It was a youth program for 18 to 30 year olds and yeah. I had come across a little flyer for it uh -huh. and, uh, and and so I was basically I was already interested in spirituality and I really wanted to know what it would look like to live spirituality I had no idea what that meant I mean I understood meditation was a concept but what did it look like in daily life and Ananda is one of the few places you can really find that out isn't that so or, or did you do any investigation or did you pardon me <laughs> No, I, I had no, I have yet to find any other place like Ananda where you can experience that. I hadn't heard of anything then. And even now I've heard of other places like Findhorn and there's various communities in Italy that are a little bit like it, but out of my reach. I mean, I suppose I could, if I really wanted to, but I've, Ananda has definitely provided all that I've ever sought. That's very good. Sambhava, where did you grow up? What, what were your interests when you were a child? Where did you live? I grew up on the East Coast in North Carolina, and I didn't. I had I had a real passion for sports uh -huh. and video games. Uh -huh. um, I didn't have a whole lot of hobbies beyond playing sports. I played a lot of team sports: soccer, uh, football, basketball. I was very much into athletics, and I went to school in a just a public school. I want to pause. I want to pause for a second. I want to pause for a second. What, yeah. does, what does it mean as a young man to have a passion for video games? What do you actually do when you're, what, what, is, it, what is it that holds you? I know I'm, I'm I talking like a part I'm talking like someone from another planet, you know, like explain this to me. Uh -huh. I think uh, the joy is just, the, the funny thing is with video games is there's always about improvement. And I think that's what, at least for myself, but I imagine many people, that's what sort of draws you to playing video games is that it's this constant, you're leveling up, you're becoming better, you're, you're, it's like self-improvement, except uh -huh. you don't improve a whole lot personally unless, <laughs> you know, maybe your concentration skills are a little better, but, uh -huh. um, and also the other, so there's two factors that stand out. One is that you're constantly improving. You're getting better and better and better at doing something. And then the other one is basically satsang or friendship. You get together with a few friends to play video games and it brings you together. Um, 
And so the camaraderie that kind of builds around video games is similar to like the camaraderie that builds around a sports game or a pickup game of basketball or something. So you were basically kind of a team guy. Um, yeah, for the most part. I mean, I was, I was quite a lone wolf growing up. I was an only child. Uh-huh. And, uh, so I had, I had best friends throughout the years as I grew up, but you know, different things came and pulled us away. You know, one friend moved to Texas, another friend moved to another place. Um, one friend, we just went different paths. We just had different interests in life. And right. so, so, yeah. so your interests as a child were, were physical, you know, sort of engaged with the world, doing things that were competitive, that were every minute of the time. You weren't a contemplative child. You, you didn't spend a lot of time um, thinking. Big I, I did. I did actually spend a lot of time. I was in some ways contemplative. Um, I spent a lot of time as I grew older, more into the philosophical years of late high school and early college. That was more contemplative. Um, the the sports and the video games were just more a stimulation. Uh-huh. It was just entertainment. As a child, I didn't have many interests in life. I was I was actually quite unhappy, and increasingly so as I got older, into mm-hmm. the teenage years. Mm-hmm. Um, and further along I got in the teenage years, the more unhappy I seemed to get. Um, and so sports and video games were like a a wonderful distraction that Uh were fun and there was entertaining. Um, but when I was on my own by myself, you know, either by myself or just with my parents at home, I had a pretty unhappy home life. Once I grew up to be old enough to be like self-aware and I wasn't sort of just being coddled by mom and dad anymore. But as I grew older, I became increasingly dissatisfied with, you know, video games and sports can only take you so far. And even... You know, even in high school sports, my coaches would say, now, don't any of you plan on becoming professionals? No one's going to be, it's such a rare person. Don't count on it. And so <laughs> sort of stepping on dreams right there. But I think there's a lot of truth to it, even though you don't really tell people like that. No, it's but, not a good idea. Let me ask you a question. Yes. What was the basis of your unhappiness? Was it existential? Or, I mean, why were you unhappy? I think it was basically existential that, um, and I don't, you know, if you believe in past lives, I do. And I, many of you, I believe that, you know, the reincarnation, I came into this life sort of wanting answers uh-huh. and I came in and I felt like nothing in life was giving me what I wanted. I didn't, I wasn't drawn to the things that most people wanted. I didn't really want, um, I didn't even really want a partner for a while. I didn't want a job. I wasn't interested in making money. I mean, money is the primary thing in life that everyone wants. And that's sort of like what gets everything going. You get a job to get a money so you can have raise your family well. And I mean, to not have a real interest in money as I grew older was like, that's a weird thing. I mean, it seemed normal to me because it just wasn't something I tuned into. But as I grew up, I kind of see that's what spins the world around to a large extent. Yeah, that's exactly. I wasn't interested in money. I didn't want a family. Uh Um, so not having desires for what's the norm kind of made me feel left out and just, I didn't quite felt like I fit in with a lot of people. And so I just kept myself mostly a lot of times beyond sports and video games. Was there any religious training in your household? Were your parents churchgoers? Did you, did you look into religion at all? Good question. Uh, yeah, my my father was raised Catholic, but I think because he went to a Catholic school 
and he was it was just so much force down his throat that it kind of catholicism left a bad taste in his mouth mm-hmm. and my mother was not raised in any religion but her mother was very spiritually inclined mm-hmm. and so my mother was raised without religious overtones but she had a real faith that i've come to appreciate more and more as i've grown older and tried to develop faith in myself and what it takes and the challenges and so as I grew, as I was growing up, they, they, I went to Catholic school. I didn't go to school. I went to, uh, I did first Holy Communion, mm-hmm. went to church. I was basically raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. I went to church and the whole thing just was so over my head mm-hmm. and so boring. <laughs> I mean, as a young youth, it was not, I mean, the Sunday schools were boring even. And I think that could have been partly me and my, you know, I had sort of a nihilistic, you know, look on life. that I just didn't see the point of living. I was kind of in one of those sort of like, it just, life didn't seem to have a purpose. And so I kind of felt like that. And, and church was trying to say, well, there is a purpose. But I remember growing up in some time in high school, I had First Holy Communion probably around eighth grade or something like that, pretty young, ninth grade. Um, but somewhere in high school, I decided... I made the conscious decision to say, yeah, I'm agnostic. Mm-hmm. I believe there's a higher power, but if he has, if he, she, or it has no direct influence over my life, mm-hmm. if it's just some cosmic thing that's, and we're just like ants and there's no real like connection, I don't see the point of it. And so I was a self-styled agnostic. Were you, when you spoke about you didn't see the purpose of life, were you sad enough to be suicidal or was it just more like, what am I going to do with myself? No, I was definitely to the point there was, I finally realized I had one strong desire around, you know, high school, the hormones kicked in and I really wanted a girlfriend. I really felt like a partner. And so I ended up dating a young woman, probably like only my third, you know, quote unquote girlfriend. If you count the ones from like middle school where Mm -hmm. it's just so innocent, it's, it's, uh, antiseptic. It's just totally. <laughs> and uh, and finally, I started dating someone. And after about eight months, it had after the first the the honeymoon period was probably about a month or two months. And after that, it got increasingly worse. And it just it just kept getting worse. I mean, it was going downhill. I mean, none of the joy was there. It was just attachment and puppy love and just confusion. And I had put basically all my eggs in that basket, thinking that's where happiness was. And because I, I wasn't looking for it in anything else. I wasn't looking for happiness in money. I wasn't looking for happiness in a job or a family. I wasn't thinking about family at that point. And uh, after about eight months, it just crashed and burned. It finally reached a tipping point and it crashed and burned. And after that, I was in a tailspin of depression for about two years. My best friend, within, within that one week that her and I broke up, my best friend of many years moved away to Texas, one of, one of those best friends. Mm-hmm. And I was so alone. I mean, those are the two people I spent probably 90% you know, percent of the time when I wasn't at school was with them. And so for both of them to just get uprooted out of my life, I was depressed for two years and then I was, de- I was having suicidal thoughts and tendencies. I had to see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty bad. I, I never got to the point of really wanting to commit to something but i just the intensity of desire and just the despair and frustration at such 
at so at not having any answers, being so unhappy and not having a clue where to look. Religion wasn't giving me, and I just, so. So how did you get out of that? What rescued you from that? What came into your life? How did it come in? Well, that was, so that was my sophomore year of high school that it was at, at my lowest point. And by senior year, I was sort of, it had been about two years. I was sort of coming out of the depression because sports was actually doing great. I mean, the, the football team that I had been a part of in high school, over the four years that I played for the same team, became increasingly better, a little bit like video games. Uh-huh. And it, would, it became exceedingly fun because we were like a really winning team. Uh-huh. We went to the playoffs. And so I think, you know, there were some other side things happening in my life that were sort of pulling me out. And then I went to college. Uh-huh. And the transition from college, graduating high school, leaving back the horrid memories of what was high school, and entering this new phase sort of opened my horizon to what, I, what life could be about, new ideas. And suddenly, well, not suddenly, I think my scene, actually it was senior year, I came upon Eckhart Tolle. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Power of now. And I think that actually had a large part of me slowly getting out of this oppression, getting out of this funk. And even thinking that there was a potential for something greater in life besides a family, a job, and financial security. So from Eckhart Tolle, how did you get to Yogananda? How did Yogananda, what was the transition from that to that? Good question. Um, from Eckhart Tolle, I was, I was very much into him because this was the first thing in life that actually made sense. And yeah. so I was reading this in the very end of high school and then into college i came about um i was looking through the college library and appalachian state small school in north carolina mm-hmm. and um i came across buddhism and the cessation of suffering and that to me was such a concept because i had been so unhappy for so many years uh-huh. um, in retrospect later drupada told me as part of my astrology reading that um, I started my Saturn returns at about, uh, no, I started my Saturn Mahadasha at age 13, 12, 13. So basically Saturn was like beating me down constantly. And that was right about the time that I started becoming increasingly very unhappy. And so the cessation of suffering was a concept that I was really into. So I got into <laughs> Buddhism I was just soaking it in and little by little I was just drawn to different teachings and people with it from Buddhism I found on I ended up somehow getting connected with another well-known today spiritual teacher named Sadhguru yes yes so Sadhguru yeah so and his inner engineering and I started watching videos of him and it was like wow this is something about this was probably sophomore year of college uh-huh. Kind of worked my way through Buddhism, and I was still on the path to end suffering. I wasn't looking for joy; uh-huh. I was looking at how to end suffering. Right. And uh, so I had, I had I, thought from, about that when you said that the cessation of suffering—that actually is the, the the other side of the coin, isn't it? We're not we're looking for, we're not looking for happiness. We're just looking to stop hurting. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> It's, so it's another that's, that's transition. Yeah, you know, it's another transition even to imagine joy, isn't it? Yes, 
yes. which came at Ananda. That's when, that's, that's when I started looking for joy and stopped trying to just stop suffering. So, so, so how did Ananda come into So we've got Eckhart Tolle's, we've got Sadhguru. First, and, uh, we're trying not to suffer. Then we're trying to engineer the mind. And then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then... Um, so sometime after I was kind of really tuning into Sadhguru, I was watching his videos. Uh -huh. And I think just little by little, Master was sort of guiding me through these teachers, these you know, right. quote-unquote lesser teachers in the sense of that's not who my, my teacher was. Maybe just... Maybe not lesser, but call it what you will, different teachers, not, you know, stepping stones. There's and then... Actually, a word for it in India, it's called Upaguru. Upaguru, yeah. Upaguru. It's the one who just is your temporary. Right. So I had a few Upagurus, uh -huh. Eckerd Tolle and Sadhguru. And uh -huh. um, so then my, that was sophomore year, I was really tuning into Sadhguru. And then my junior year of college, uh -huh. um, then that was 2009 my uncle whom we talked about originally when we had sat down for uh, love and protected mm -hmm. he just on a whim sent an email to my mom saying he had read autobiography for yogi and he got a nudge one morning in meditation to send me the book mm -hmm. and so he sent me this book autobiography for yogi it, it shows up in my condominium mailbox fully mail i go that day, I didn't really, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't Google it ahead of time to find out what it was about. I just took it on, on his word. And then I, there's, you know, the school I was in was in the uh, foothills. They were, they were not, they were foothills, but in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. So I, I went up a very rather small mountain, but it was a basically, I, mean, I don't know, call it a mountain, but a very large hill that I got a bird's eye view of. Boone, the college town that I was attending and uh, living in at the time. And I just started reading the book and I didn't get very far into it where before I realized like, you know, within the first two or three chapters, I think his vibration, I was so ready for it. I was so ready for answers that when he was talking about God is something you can experience and he was talking about his family life and the everything about it just seemed like it was a reality like you could actually like the what he was saying was true god divine mother is a reality and not only is are we that's what we're looking for but god's actively seeking us and i felt like that's what that book was about that god was like looking for me trying to get my attention and this is the first time i mean sadhguru i don't remember thinking as much about god it, it was kind of just his magnetism was attractive. I don't remember a whole lot of what he taught. And Eckhart Tolle was talking about the power of now, which, you know, the eternal now is an important thing to be aware about, but it's not the teaching of self-realization. It's not like finding God. So it was pretty radical to go from those stepping stones, but this felt like this was my home. This is the answer. I felt like he knew me. I didn't think of him as my guru. It took, it took a couple of years before that hit. Yeah. So you just so basically, autobiography. Your uncle sent you autobiography of a yogi, and you picked it up, and this was what you were looking for. Just, just exactly. like that. Well, not yes. like that because you'd had all those years to get ready for it. So how right. did you? How did you get from walking up the hill with autobiography of a yogi in your hand to coming to Ananda for that program? Well, I had. F I ended up taking a few months to finish that book. 
Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, I was online looking up, uh, I had just Googled to look up about Yogananda and I'm pretty sure that's where I ended up stumbling upon Ananda village for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so in, at some point I started, uh, I started tuning into Sunday services. I was watching Sunday service every day and, um, I was starting to get to know some of the ministers through just watching them. And, um, at some point this, so that was August that my uncle sent me their autobiography. So over, you know, over the next several months, I was tuning into Ananda through the internet, primarily Sunday service. I read some articles just for inspiration. Um, the internet's come, the Ananda.org uh, has come such a long way since then. Okay. So there wasn't as much I don't remember offered, but Sunday services played a key role. And then five months later, August, September, October, November, December. So five or six months later in February, late February, my uncle committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And it had been something my parents were concerned about. My mom, it's my mom's brother, her older brother. And, uh, and they were sort of aware of it for a long time. And this was kind of surprising to me. I mean, because I didn't really know much. Of, we weren't close. Right. He kind of would visit from California. Him and his sister, my mom's sister and brother, lived in California, which is where my mom's originally from, Los Angeles. He would come and visit us in North Carolina sometimes, but I was so young, we didn't have a relationship. I didn't really know him. So this was pretty shocking news to me. I mean, my, my mom was, um, you know, she was really heartbroken, but they also kind of knew that he had been dealing with this for a long time and he had threatened many times. And so anyway, in honor of his, um, in honor of his passing, I decided that day to go do a service project. Mm -hmm. And in the service project, I just found one through uh, an email. My, the university I was attending sent out an email that explained, you know, here's a list of service projects you could do for the next you know, however many weeks. And so I signed up just to go do one. I didn't really care what it was. And it happened to be moving books from one warehouse to, I believe, another. I don't know if they were about to build a library. I have no idea at this, even to this day, what those books were for or about. But I was moving, moving books with a friend of mine who came to support me, knowing I was having a hard time. And at what point I was standing on this very large, you know, I think it was an eight-wheeler truck very large, like moving truck. And there were just stacks of boxes on the truck. And I was just putting boxes and books in boxes. And at one point I was looking, I was on the truck and I was looking back and the, the top book on the left top box said religion. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, it just, it caught my attention. And I remember thinking religion and I sort of broke it down in my mind to say rely on. If you take out the G like rely on, it caught my attention and I was just so drawn to it and I didn't know what to think about it. So I just thought, well, what's in the box? Let me, uh, uh -huh. you know, maybe there's a good book in there. And as I was tilting the, the high, this box, which was probably about six feet up so I could just bring it down. The top book above it was just high enough over the edge so that it fell out and none of the other books fell out and I caught it and it was Cities of Light by Swami Kriyananda. No. Really? And I remember having chills up my spine and just being so, it was a very, very surreal moment because I just felt like, you know, the fact that my uncle just committed suicide, I'm here doing these random books moving 
and here comes into my life Swami's. It's as if he was saying, I'm with you, whether it was Swami or Master or God. I just, I felt so reassured like in a way that no one else or nothing else could have done. And I just felt like my life. Yes. I'm, I'm so, I've been so impressed when I've talked and I've, because I've been conducting these conversations that we think we're alone and we're not. And then just Divine Mother just finds a crack in the curtain and just sticks something through like that. Now, and at a time when you least expect it. Yeah, I'm going to skip through just a little bit now because not because I don't want to know everything, but because we only have yes. so much time. So then you came to live at Ananda Village permanently in what year? Um, 2011. 2011. And you've been continuously in residence there ever since? Yes. Yeah. So what, what does Ananda mean to you? What is it? What is living there done for you? How, how would you see it in contrast to the story that we've just told that has gotten you to this point? What, what is the spirit of where you are now? Um, Ananda means to me, it's something that lives inside you. I mean, we talk about Ananda often as like a location, mm -hmm. but I've come over the years to gradually come to understand that Ananda is actually like a living experience of joy and, and, and community. I mean, I was deeply wanting community because I grew up an only child and I kind of felt alone and I, you know, I sort of separated myself, alienated myself, but a part of me deeply wanted the kinship of people who understood and had the same interest and values. Mm -hmm. And so the community life and the friendships and the joy that comes for living for God, there's nothing else in life that comes close to that. I mean, I, I could, you know, watching professionals in like a, you know, the Super Bowl or some great mm -hmm. uh, contest where you win. And then it's like, but in the end, I could just see how fleeting it would be. But the bonds of friendship that are being built and have been built over years, I feel like are going to last for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And they'll also carry on into next life. If God mm -hmm. forbid, I have to come back and they have to come mm -hmm. back and we have to do it again. There's such a sweetness. And I feel like there's a thread of people that I know now. I first met them and I was like, wow, you look, you are way familiar. Uh -huh. And I couldn't put my finger on it, but more and more I began to realize, yeah, there's something there. It's like we've worked before as friends and come to, or lovers or enemies, or, and we're just kind of trying to pick up the thread. So I would say community, friendship, and a spirit of joy living for God is basically what sums up my experience of Ananda and how I think of Ananda. Do you think, let me see how to say this. Do you think that this is an enduring change of consciousness for you? That's just, I mean, it's been more than a minute. So you're past, you're past the first hundred weeks. So do you think Ananda has actually um, extricated the root of what made you sad before you came? Absolutely. I do believe that. I think um, there was a lot of transition period when I first came to Ananda of like how to actually sort of balancing my life, what it was before. And then this totally new world that I stepped in. I mean, I told my parents only a few weeks before I moved to Ananda, I'm moving to California and I'm moving. I mean, it was rather, I mean, I had been thinking about it for a couple of months, but um, 
the challenges, there's always challenges, but I feel like I've grown stronger and wiser. I've been able to deal with hardship with, with much greater contentment and grace. Um, I see the hardships now no longer as just un, unnecessary burdens of suffering, which is kind of what growing up felt like. It's like, why are we suffering? What's the point of suffering if there's no answer to it all? Whereas now I see that suffering actually helps you to get closer to God, to grow stronger, to learn what you need to learn in life lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and life's only gotten sweeter in the years that I've lived in Ananda. The challenges have actually in some ways have gotten harder, but because I've gotten stronger, I've been able to meet them on their level uh, and not always successfully, but with, with, you know, practice and perseverance, prayer and meditation and faith, you know, it's there's always someone there to help us it's not we don't have to carry ourselves by our own bootstraps yeah that's exactly true you used the phrase earlier you said uh living for god what does living for god mean living for god basically in in essence it's developing a relationship in yourself with something that's greater than you it's Uh believing that there's something there's a potential in you that's greater we call it God. You could call it spirit. You could call it your higher self. There's a lot of words, Allah. Uh-huh. But there's some, something inside of us that knows we can be better than we are, that knows there's, you know, Jesus said, be therefore perfect even as your father in heaven. Well, that's a steep, that's a pretty tall glass. Yeah. But on some level, and that's kind of frightful even to think about being perfect, but on some level, part of us knows that we can that's what that's why there's so much joy in self-improvement whether it's something as minimal as like a video game i think that fulfills some spiritual desire to improve oneself or the vast knowledge of self-help books out there that people tune into because you're growing and so really developing a relationship with that higher self not even thinking of it as a separate being but something that you are like a tree growing from just having faith. And that happens primarily through meditation and prayer, talking to that higher self, listening to that higher self, and also learning to see that higher self in other people. And if you can do that, then your life radically changes when the people you live and interact with on a daily basis are not just other people with their own things, desires, and likes and dislikes, but they're a part of you. And the more you experience their suffering, if someone, you know, loses a friend or a loved one and you can feel that pain with them, you just, it's expanding your sympathy, expanding your consciousness. So living for God is expanding your consciousness from the narrow self-enclosed eye to a greater self, a greater reality, uh, and trying to feel that in ourselves that we're part of everything and to see that in other people. Uh, it's a, it's so fulfilling that, you know, even if you don't know the final goal, mm-hmm. every step along the way is like an increasing affirmation that yes, this is the right path. When I open my heart to people who are suffering or people who are mean to me, and I still try and think of God, I'm happier. Mm-hmm. And Swami would often say, I'm happier loving than not loving. It's purely selfish. <laughs> I think that's perfect. Well, thank you very much, Sambhava. That's a very interesting story. Video games, sports, uh, intercession of, on a divine part. You know, your uncle's unfortunate end is actually quite seriously balanced 
by the good karma of having brought you onto the spiritual path. Mm. And, you know, yeah. whatever, howsoever we think of him, he's also deeply mm. blessed by that. That was no small gesture to bring you yeah. to the spiritual path. Life is a very interesting journey, isn't it, my friend? Well, it is incredible journey. I'm very, very glad to have talked with you. Thank you so much for sharing. I really thank you for your time. God bless you. God bless.